yo, yo, Salt Company, can you hear me? Can you hear my voice? Go Bengals, people. The seven, the early session of Salt Company. What's it? 24-0 already? Dang, that was fast. Jeez. Tim, somebody owes Tim a Gatorade or a body armor. Who thinks body armor is the new Gatorade? Wow. I bet all y'all are gluten-free, too. I bet that's the case. I'm just kidding. No, that's, being gluten-free is a good thing, by the way. It's totally fine. Being pro-gluten is also a good thing. I'm going to stop talking. Actually, just kidding. I'm about to talk for a while. My name's Dylan, and I'm on staff with Salt Company. So glad that y'all could join us. Yes, I, I feel bad for the person that's going to come in at like 7.50 thinking that they're going to get here early because they will be dismayed because we will be wrapping up to go see Joe Burrow and the boys throw down on the Dolphins. Any team that's named the Dolphins, you can't lose to those guys. You just can't. They're cool animals, but not a great uh, team mascot name. Sorry if any Dolphins fans out there. I actually grew up a New Orleans Saints fan because, okay, okay, because I grew up in South Louisiana. I grew up in Baton Rouge, the capital of the Pelican State. Did y'all know that? That's our nickname, the Pelican State. And my mom and my dad, they still live in Baton Rouge, and I have an older sister, and she lives in Dallas, so now she's a Cowboys fan, so we have all this little, like, tension going on. But, yep, who day, white out, the white helmets look sweet. And actually, talking about family, growing up, we had a number of, like, little fun little family rituals that we did, and maybe some of you guys had the same thing growing up. For us, we always took bike rides on Sunday afternoons. Just what we did, a little Sunday afternoon bike ride. We always listened to jazz music on Saturdays. 90.3 WBRH, smooth jazz radio. Like, I still hear it. And when we go, if I'm ever in vacation down in Baton Rouge, it's going to be on. It just keeps going. My mom and dad are great cooks, so we would always eat dinner. If they were in town, not on a business trip or something, they would always go cook. We would always sit at the table. And it was never like, how was your day at school, honey? Good, okay, move on. It was like, no, you need details. So we would always, our family ritual was always debating about the problems in algebra class and the history lessons. That's probably why I'm super long-winded, for those of you all who know me. It's from those dinners. And my sister and I would always clean after my parents cooked, right? It's kind of like a good trade-off. They cook delicious food. We get to clean it up. So Claire would always crank up the radio super loud, and we would, like, be dancing uh, like the Ryan Seacrest show or whatever, and like we'd just be cutting up while we scrub pots and things like that. Um, so really fun childhood, um, but one of those things that became more of a ritual in my life, or really more of like a routine, I'd say, not necessarily a bad thing, not necessarily a good thing, was prayer. Um, we're going to talk a lot about prayer tonight, but for me personally, it's not like I was doing anything wrong, but I think I just really dismissed the point. So for example, we would pray for any reason, um, good things, bad things, anytime, anywhere. We'd pray before football games. We'd pray before meals. We'd pray at church. We'd pray at school. We'd pray for our cousins. We'd pray for our uncles and aunts. It was like, oh, always praying. And I started to get a little tired of it. Um, like I said, I think I missed the point. My uncle and aunt, also very good cooks. And I remember sitting at the table, my mouth's watering, have a bunch of grilled shrimp out in front of me. And my aunt asked me if, if, she, if we could please say grace. He said, Dylan, please say grace, which aka pray. And so I said, okay. I closed my eyes and I said, grace. And then I just shouted. <laughs> they did not love that, but I liked it because the food was delicious. Um, I remember I always prayed that the LSU Tigers would beat Alabama at the beginning of every year. And 
Unfortunately, that prayer has only been answered a few times in my life. Um, yep. All right. Um, who's, please, please pray for that person that just said that. Um, yeah, guys, I think I was just missing it. I don't think I was doing anything wrong. I just didn't really understand the purpose of prayer. And perhaps you're like me. Perhaps you were like me, not just kind of missing the point. Perhaps you're a new believer. Praise God, we have a few new believers in this room. Yeah, praise, praise the Lord. He's done an awesome work through Salt Company. Um, and maybe you just don't really know what prayer is for or, or how to approach God in that way. Um, maybe you've been a believer for a long time, and it's kind of worn off on you like it, it had for me. Or maybe you just stumbled in here. You thought you were going to the Bengals watch party, and instead you're learning about prayer. I'm really glad that you're here um, <laughs> because, uh, yeah, we've got some good stuff for you this evening. Um, well, the disciples in Jesus' day were actually on a similar kind of thought process that we were. What is the purpose of prayer? And the reason that we know this is that it's actually a fun fact. This is the only time recorded in Scripture that the disciples actually asked Jesus to teach them something. This is the only time they asked them to teach how to pray. And the reason why is because not only Jesus, not only was Jesus teaching in the synagogues, astounding all the people with his teachings. Not only was he casting out demons, not only was he healing the blind, the lame, the sick, he was praying like nobody's business. And so I hope that we can come into a place this evening where we can be like the disciples, where we can, we can just sit down and listen and learn to God, listen to God's word and hear how we can pray um, because he has it open to any of us that call upon his name. And if it's your first time coming in tonight, I really hope that you can listen, that you really do have access through the Father, through Jesus Christ. And if you're a son or child, a son or daughter of God, we can learn what it means to pray. So with that in mind, I'm going to pray. So please bow your heads and let's get into it. Dear Lord, thank you for nights like tonight. God, I pray um, that yeah, you would reveal yourself through your word. Um, that this wouldn't be my words that all the preparation and conversations and prayer that I've had beforehand, I pray that it's just all through you and the power of your word. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're gonna be continuing on in Matthew chapter six. Uh, we're gonna start in verse five, and we're gonna be at five through 15 is kind of our main section of text. So first, we have to answer the question, why we pray. We need to find out the why before we figure out the how. And so first, I wanna go with saying, how do, like, why do we not pray, okay? Hopefully that was clear. We're going to find the why, but first the why not do we do that. So that was confusing. Let's just go ahead and read. Verse 5 is going to teach us some things. Starting at verse 5. This is Jesus talking. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. So, we have these two different kinds of people. We have the hypocrites and we have the Gentiles. Let's start with the hypocrites first. What are the hypocrites doing? There it says they're standing on the street corners praying. 
So hypocrite is somebody who says one thing or acts one thing, but their heart position is actually in the complete other direction. And so these were the Jewish people of the time who also had a culture of praying. They would pray to the God Almighty, same God that we pray for, but this is before Jesus comes to the scene and teaches how they can actually be made right with God. So there was multiple places that you could pray. You could pray at the temple if you're in Jerusalem, or you could pray at the local places of worship called the synagogues. So why are these people standing on the street corners praying? Well, they had different set times of the day where prayer was happening. But sometimes if you couldn't make it to the synagogue in time, you would go ahead and pray. So these hypocrites were conveniently finding themselves right on the popular street corner where everybody's buzzing in and out, and this is where they have their prayers. This is like if you're at UC, you're like right on Main Street, and you're just going to get there right there and pray. Everybody's going to see you. This is like if you're at Xavier, like Bellarmine Chapel, is that how you say it? Right there, like right in the middle of campus. Everybody's going to see you praying. God says it there that they have received their reward in full. What are they really looking after? They're not there to speak to God. They're there to impress other people. Guys, we don't pray so that we impress other people. What's the next group? We have the Gentiles. Gentiles is a word for a non-Jew. So if you don't have Jewish Uh, heritage, cultural background, then you are a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. It says that that they're blabbing their words going on and on with pomp, and they're dancing around, waving. They're they're trying to impress God. They're trying to be, they're they're trying to get, uh, prick up the ears of God because they're thinking if we say the right things or we, we put on the right rituals or something like that, then our gods will hear us. I had the chance to help out at a Christmas service in Baton Rouge, this was a couple of years ago, and so I, and I was a volunteer at this Christmas service, and my partner was a little four-year-old named Noah, so him and I were handing out candy canes, it was really fun, but before we started, we had our team leader get around in a circle, and we prayed over the Christmas service, and this woman, I know that she loves the Lord, she's an awesome woman, but her prayer was about 10 to 12 minutes long, and that is a long time, I've been talking for about eight or nine minutes, I think, so think about just me talking, straight prayer. And so I'm down on one knee at this point. I'm not trying to be reverent. My legs are just really tired. I'm <laughs> standing there. And Noah walks up to me and he whispers in my ear and he goes, Dear God, please, amen. Just say amen. Just say amen. You best believe I was laughing. That was some funny stuff. Listen, she wasn't trying to impress God, but the point is here. This is what the Gentiles were doing. They were going on and on and on trying to impress God. Guys, prayer is not a spell. There's no magic words that need to be spoken. But instead, this is like a loving father. Excuse me. This is like a, like a child coming up to a loving father in conversation with him. One of my, some of my most favorite times growing up and still now is just sitting out on the back porch with my dad on a long day. Just enjoying being with him. That's, that's what God wants prayer to look like. And this is what Jesus is modeling for us. So as we get into the main meat of this text, I want, I want to be clear that this is simply a model. You don't have to do this verbatim. It's not like the prayer isn't going to work if you, if you don't say this prayer perfectly. This is simply a model, a recommendation that Jesus has handed to us for how we pray. So let's get into the meat of this text, verses 9 through 13. It says, pray then like this, 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The first thing, we're gonna sit in verses nine through 10. First things first, y'all. Prayer is intimate and reverent. Prayer is intimate and reverent. Now prayer starts us thinking rightly about who God is and who we are. Many times we hear out on the street, and I think this is a very common thought, that all humanity are children of God. That's a very common thought, right? But in reality, that's not the case. Biblically, that's not true. Only those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus are called children of God. The point I'm making there is that it's so easy to think that, oh, all I have to do is do these things to be a child of God. But in reality, Jesus Christ has already done it on the cross. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. That makes you a child of God. Nothing that you can do, but everything that Jesus has done. The people that don't know the Lord, they're not his children. Not yet right? Because none of us are worthy of that. Many of us have grown up without a father as well. So if you hear that word father and you're cringing, I'm sorry, and it's okay. <laughs> because this father is not like the earthly fathers that we have. Even, even me that's blessed with an absolutely wonderful earthly father, all of y'all would love him. <laughs> He's a goofball. He doesn't even come close to the love and, and enjoy and care that our Heavenly Father has on earth for us. You know, if you're a child of God, like, you can run. It's almost like you're being a little kid, like, running into, like, your parents' room in the middle of the night, you know? Like, not everybody can do that. Only those that are children of God can do that. And that's the access that we have in the Father. So access is a huge part of our intimacy with God. But he is also our heavenly father. Keyword heavenly here. So not only is it intimate like a father to a little boy or a little girl, but he's also reverent. I knew a friend, um, she, she was a friend of mine in high school, and her dad was a Navy SEAL. Very sweet to, the, to, her to his daughter, right? But Everybody else was like, whoa, stand back. Like, we need to be reverent around this guy. Navy SEAL. I, uh, I had the chance to be in a movie um, when I was like 16 years old. Super fun. It's called Magnificent Seven. If y'all have seen it, it honestly was a box office flop. It wasn't great. I didn't love it. But I was, I was nothing special. I was a background actor. I was like townsperson number four or something. I like hid behind a barrel the whole time. But me and my friend were there. Her name was Molly. And uh, she's a hoot. But we're, we're hiding behind these barrels. Denzel Washington is in this movie. He's like shooting people. There's explosions going off. I'm like, whoa, this is so cool. And uh, Molly comes up to me and she goes, Dylan, I just don't like this scene. She had this old country accent. And I was like, something along the lines of like, that's tough. Like, you're not the director. And uh, she's like, nope. Like, I'm going to tell him. Uh, do we have the photo of me up there, by the way? Uh, yes, that's me. 
it's my Louisiana high school uniform. Um, no, and, and she just said, Dylan, I just don't like, I just don't like what's going on here. I'm going to go tell him. And I said, who are you going to go tell? She said, I'm going to go tell Denzel. And I was like, no, you do not talk to Denzel the Equalizer Washington like that, okay? <laughs> I've never seen her since, actually. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's fine. The point is here, when we speak to our father, who is a figure of guidance, power, love, and respect, we're also speaking to our heavenly father, a supreme authority and perfection. You best believe that we're going to start off our prayer with this level of respect. I'm going to flip briefly over to Psalm 104. This is the God. This is our heavenly father. This is who he is. Just listen. Just listen to these words and just, just put these images into your head. David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers flaming fire. Y'all, this is a long psalm. It's just going on explaining who God is and his power. The reason I'm saying this is that God is deserving of all of our admiration and honor. That's why it has that really fancy word that says, hallowed be your name. I think of like Harry Potter, right? The Deathly Hallows. Those are like the sacred objects, right? Like the, the ultimate magical objects. Okay, close Harry Potter. Like that is why it says, hallowed be your name. It is a sacred name. That's why we're called not to use God's name in vain because of who he is. We just take a second and think about our heavenly father and who he is, really, truly. It's gonna change the way that we approach him. Moving on, prayer is about aligning our will with God's will. Continue reading with me back in chapter six. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Salt Company, how often do we start our prayers off with not your kingdom come, but my kingdom come? Knowing now what we know about God as our perfect, loving, caring father, but one that is full of power and majesty, supreme authority, not only, I think not only is it selfish that we start off with, God, I need these things, I need this help, it's also kind of stupid. We're forgetting who God is. Now, what does his kingdom look like? It says, if you're saying, okay, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what does it look like? Well, I have an excerpt, Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. You can always flip to it and see how the, how the end of the world is gonna look like. It's gonna be awesome. It says this, Revelation 7, starting in verse 15. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When we ask this prayer of God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, 
this is the kingdom that we're calling to come soon. That the prayer, that this prayer is for the rule and reign of Jesus Christ to come down now. I love this passage in Revelation because it still shows God as a supreme authority, but also shows the intimacy. Look what it says. It says, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Ultimate power, but so much intimacy there. That's what you have if you're a child, a son or daughter of God. See, when we say our will be done, our kingdom come, y'all, our will is the will that nailed Jesus to the cross. Like our will is what got us in all the trouble in the first place. Like our will is the one that said, no, I, I want nothing to do with you. But his will is the one that says, no, I'm going to send my son Jesus Christ to live among you in sinless perfection, to die the death that you deserve and to be buried and raised again so that you may have life. That's what his will is. That's the kingdom that we want to come. That's why we want our brothers, our sisters, our roommates, our family members, our coworkers. That's why we want them to come to know the Lord so that they can be a part of this kingdom coming and it's going to come. So that's why we beckon that to come. As we continue to pray this prayer, we learn that prayer is about dependence. Keep reading with me back in chapter six. It's a quick one, and we'll camp here for a second. Give us this day our daily bread. I wanna take a second and just go back to the previous lines in, the, in this verse, in, in this set of prayer. Just now, after we've started talking about admiring and honoring God, just now, are we talking about ourselves? Are we bringing our personal matters to God? Remember, give him the honor and admiration that is due to who he is first. And maybe that poses a question for you guys. With all this being said, does God really care about my personal needs, my day-to-day problems? If he really is this God that's clothed with clouds and shoots out fire, like his messengers and everything, like does he really truly care? The short answer is, yes, he does. Flip over with me. Um, it's, on the, it's in the same chapter of Matthew, starting in verse 30. So maybe flip one page over. I'm not sure. Read this out with me. It says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added for you. A lot of times we we fall into two camps. Either one, we think God of the supreme authority, and it would be selfish to ever bring our needs to him. Or we forget about the supreme authority of God, and we just think about the intimate Father. And the key is, is that happy medium knowing who God is and knowing his strength and power and majesty, but also how much he cares for us like a father cares for his child, gives us access to come and go, hey, I know you're holding the stars in place. (laughs) I know you're keeping gravity in check, but hey, I really, I'm really struggling studying for this test. I need your help. Like that is a totally good prayer to ask for. That's because he cares about his children so much. When we pray this prayer of dependence, it's actually dispelling this 
independent culture, this independent mindset that we have in our culture, right? And we are like very independent people, right? Don't we pride ourselves? Like we literally have a holiday called Independence Day. It's like do it ourselves day, right? Like we pride ourselves as Americans of being able to make our own things, to have free thinking, free market system, all this, all that, doing all that you want. But when we are asking God to give us our daily bread, day-by-day sustenance, it reminds us of the help and dependence that we truly need in a loving Father. This idea of daily bread is important because we're not asking God to, like, give us, you know, a big ribeye steak from, like, Texas Day Brazil or something like that, right? I don't, is there Texas Day Brazil here? No? You don't know what I'm talking about? It's like a big steakhouse. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry, one person in the back is like, kind of. Yeah. No, he's talking about the daily bread. So even if you guys grow up and, and just have loads and loads of money because of your awesome jobs that you're going to get, like, praise God for that. But we can't forget that our daily mindset has to be daily dependence, daily sustenance, almost like a hand-to-mouth desire. I think that's why so many people fall away from God or stop going to church or whatever it is because they think, oh, I've got this all on my own. I've got my retirement figured out. I've got all my assets in check. No, we are in constant dependence of God. The glorious thing about that is, is that although we're asking for our daily bread now, we know that the feast comes later, right? That same chapter in, in Revelation 5, it says that, that, that Jesus the Lamb is going to lay out a banquet feast for us one day that those that are in him will be able to feast and enjoy all that he has done and will enjoy his glory forever. But until that moment, we're asking, begging him to just provide day by day. And we know that as a good father, he will. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So I want to disclaim something really quick because this could sound like, God, like, I need you to forgive me of my sins. Like you're, like, almost like I'm losing salvation, God. Forgive me. Bring me back into a right relationship with you. I want us to point us back to the gospel here. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, his blood has washed clean your sins from the past, your sins from the present, and the sins that you're going to commit way down the road. It's already been washed away. So Tim, Tim says this really well. It's like, hey, even if your biggest sins are ahead of you, which is kind of a spooky thought, right? God has already died for those sins. So that's not what it's saying. So what is it saying? Well, when we sin as believers, it's not that we're going to lose our relationship with him. That, that standing, we will always be a son or, son or daughter of the king now if we're in Jesus. But when we sin, it actually builds up walls that make intimacy really difficult. So that loving father piece, maybe God doesn't seem like such the loving father that he is anymore. Um, when I was in college, I had a pretty physical relationship with a girl for a little bit of time. And I was scared to share it um, in my campus group. I was share, scared to share it with my roommates. Um, and what happened was I, I stopped, stopped wanting to read the Bible I stopped running, wanting to go to um, my, my college ministry, stopped wanting to go to church. Um, and I really just started seeing God of more as, as an oppression, as something that I had to do, as opposed to the joy of spending time with my father. And uh, 
That's, that's what happens. That's what sin does. It disrupts that intimacy that we can have with the Father. So there was one night I was talking with my roommate. His name's Matt. Super thankful for Matt. I don't really cry that often, but that night I was just crying so much. And I was just, I just got to confess all those things to him. And he reminded me of exactly what I just said. He said, hey, Jesus has died for all of that. You're still his son. You don't have to worry about this anymore. Be made back into a real intimacy with the Father. And from that moment, I remember feeling that weight lifted off of, yes, that's right. I know who I am. And we actually ended up stopped dating, and it was really good for me. <laughs> and so praise God for that. So that's what he's saying. We said, forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our, de- our debtors. Moving on. Prayer helps us persevere. Verse 13, it says this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. More disclaimers. It's so easy to take scripture out of context, right? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So is this saying right here that if you, like God could actually lead us into sin? Well, looking at scripture as a whole, reading it in context, we know that that's not the case. In James 1, 13 through 14, it says this. Let no one say when he is tempted... I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So this actually does the opposite, right? God isn't the one doing the tempting. It's actually our own desires. It's actually our own flesh that's desiring us to go and sin and build up those walls again, right? The things that we're running away from, now that we're children of God, sin is trying to like, lure us back in. It can't have our souls anymore, but it wants to damage us and take away the right intimacy with the Father that he's bought with his blood. But we pray for this. We pray that God would not lead us in temptation. Because when we, when we become followers of Christ, we have switched sides from an enemy of God to now a son and daughter of the king. I know I sound like a broken record there, but it's true. There's been only one human, all of humanity, that has been without sin. His name is Jesus. And if you are a son and daughter of the king, you now have his spirit that lives inside of you. So now you get to ask that, God, keep me away from temptation. Keep me from the sins of this world and deliver me from evil. He's already delivered us from the greatest threat. That's eternity without him. Now we're asking for the day-to-day protection because he is the only one that can defeat it. He's the only one that can resist it. So really, we're waging war against the wickedness of this world when we say that. We say, God, you are my redeemer. You are my deliverer. Continue to, to, to deliver me day by day from this darkness that's all around me. Keep reading with me. Got a couple bonus verses for us. So we're out of the prayer now. It ends with, but deliver us from evil. But I feel like these verses are really, really important. Read 14 through 15 with me. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Whoa. Again, very easy to take this verse out of context. It literally says, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. 
Well, we know from the surrounding context of this passage that it's not saying that we can lose our salvation. Impossible. Cannot lose our, our, our salvation. Well, thank you. What it is saying is that for people who have been forgiven like us, we are actually called to forgive. That if you have been saved by the blood of Jesus, that it will change you. It will change you from a person that desires vengeance and destruction against another person, but actually will change you to want to forgive naturally and with a pure heart like our Savior Jesus did for us. And I want to clarify something too, because forgiving is not the same as forgetting. The reason I say that is, is that some of us or many of us or have been or are currently in really difficult, maybe abusive situations where people have done extremely damaging things to you. And so what I don't want you to hear is forgive and forget. It's not what I'm saying at all. And if you are in one of those situations, whether it's physically, psychologically, emotionally damaging, whether it's in the home, in your dorm, with a friend, with a boyfriend or girlfriend, fill in the blank. Myself, Hayden, Tim, we, we're all ears. We'd love to hear. Um, we'd love to help you walk through this process. And um, yeah, if we can't help you, we'd love to, to bring you to someone who can help you because that's serious. So what I'm saying here isn't just forgive and forget. We don't want you to remain in that, in that position. We want you to get out of that position. But this is what I am saying. We forgive because Christ first forgave us. That's what I am saying. In Romans 5, 8, and 10, it says this, But God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we, shall we be saved by his life. We forgive because we are the ones that offended. Like, we are the offender, y'all. We are the ones that deserve all the punishment. We deserve the ones, we, we're the ones that deserve the, the revenge on us. But instead of re revenge, God sent his only son, Jesus, down to earth to forgive us of our sins and reconcile us, like it says in this passage. Not even when, while we were, like, not on good terms with God. It says, while we were enemies of God in direct opposition to God's will. The logical thing that all of us would probably do would be to fight back, but God said no. I'm going to show love to my creation, and I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to reconcile them back into my family. So when we pray, we're saying no to ourselves. We're saying yes to the Father and his kingdom coming. We're calling him the names that he truly deserves. Heavenly King. We're thanking him for all that he has given us. And we're asking him that he would provide for us day by day. Asking for forgiveness and the little things and the big things. And knowing that our salvation can never be taken away because he is our father and we are his children. It really is teaching us to abide in Christ daily. And I want to say, if, if you're someone who this is all new to you, you can, you can put your trust in that today. 
All you have to know is that I am a sinner. I have offended a perfect and holy God, but because of his love for me, he moved heaven and earth so that I could be made in a right relationship with him. And although I deserve eternal separation from him, his blood has made me clean from this day forward until the end of until eternity. So that's why we pray this prayer. And so as we close, I think it's only natural that I would pray the Lord's Prayer. And so uh, if y'all would please bow your heads, I'm gonna read it out. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, 20 seconds that packs so much about who you are, about who we are, about your majesty, your splendor. God, we don't deserve any of this. We don't deserve to ever talk to you, God. But because of your son, Jesus, the gift that you gave us in your son, you've given us that opportunity to speak with you. Lord, I pray that we would be in a daily dependence of you, God. That we wouldn't run to the things of this world, that we wouldn't run or build up our own kingdom, but instead that we want your kingdom to come on earth, God. Because we know that there will be a day when all tears will be washed away. When all the pain and suffering in this world will be gone, Lord. And we ask that your kingdom would grow daily, that you would work mightily in our hearts and in the hearts of those around us, Lord. Use us, God. Lord, keep us far from temptation. It's all around us. Lord, deliver us from evil, God. Keep us far away from it. You're the only one that can save us. Lord, thank you for forgiving us. And that by doing so, we can live a life that's about forgiving others, about reconciling others, and seeing you do a mighty work through your spirit in their life. God, we thank you for all that you're doing and what you've done on the cross. In your name we pray, amen.